Well, good morning again, Westmount. What a morning it has been so far. The Lord glorified in this place. I know you've been encouraged by the obedience you've seen this morning. I invite you now to take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 133. Psalm 133. If you're visiting with us and you don't have a Bible with you, just look in the rack in front. You will see one right there. Please turn to Psalm 133. Use that and you can track with us this morning. Psalm 133. You know, it feels strange not to turn to the book of Exodus. I must admit, the study behind us. And you know, not only is it behind us, but a couple weeks in front of us now, before the summer pause arrives, for myself, a pause includes a sabbatical, as you know. I just need to say, especially as we are in these final two weeks, just so appreciate the elders here recognizing and granting this time of renewal and rejuvenation. Uh, Never been short in my seven years here of the care that they give to me and my family, so very thankful for that. As we look ahead to that, and I mean that together, all of us looking ahead to the summer, I've been thinking about what to leave you with before that pause. What's the one thing that needs to be said or reminded before we break from seeing one another for a while? What is an ongoing question? What is an ongoing concern? Well, Wes's Mount, it's not, and let me be clear this morning, it's not a concern with what is going on in here. This morning testifies that already, does it not? It's not a concern within this local body. Let's be clear about that. God is at work here, as you've seen. There is spiritual rebirth. There's spiritual growth. There's baptisms, learning, growing. In so many ways, I need to tell you it will be very tough to be away for a bit. There is so much good going on here right now. As our beloved sister reminds us, there is much joy in the camp. Much joy in the camp. Now, there are no concerns within these walls in this body, praise the Lord. The questions for many of you, for all of us, revolve around living outside. The concerns stem from what is not slowly, beloved, not slowly, but listen, rapidly increasing out there. What of the runaway train that is ungodliness? And in fact, that feels like an understatement, isn't it? It's a runaway train and more. There's no letting up. In fact, not only is there no letting up, there's just speeding up. There's just speeding up. And thus the question is asked, how do we live, how do we sustain amid such ungodliness? And over the next couple of weeks, we will consider that. What would God have us do as we live amidst ungodliness? And specifically, we will look at two meditations that will guide our living here. Two meditations, this week and next. This week, as you've already caught this morning, one is unity which will be, again, our study this morning, unity. Next week, we're going to look at the subject of victory. That'll be our focus next Lord's Day, unity and victory. That's how we sustain and live. And said other ways, one is a reminder, we could say it this way to introduce this mini-series on living horizontally. One is living horizontally, living now, living with others. 
And then the other is a reminder on living vertically, looking ahead and living with hope. Today we consider this present age and living in it from day to day. How do we sustain an ungodliness? We live in unity. We live together. We live in the body of Christ, not apart from it. We live of like mind. And saying all that, I'm reminded that it needs all kinds of qualification and definition today, does it not? Who isn't on board with unity? The problem is not that people don't want it. The problem is, how are you defining it? What is unity? What is unity? What is life together? More so, what is like mind? What do we mean by like mind? Those are not automatic questions and certainly not automatic answers. We seek biblical definition and thus biblical answers. As such, we look down now at Psalm 133 for help. Quite a number of years ago, by the way, as you look at this psalm, we turned to this psalm as we sought early unity in the camp. Maybe a year into our revitalization and the need for commitment was clear, we were a mixed group. For those of you here, you remember in those days, a mixed group of old and new church attenders, but we weren't members yet. We weren't members yet. This psalm helped instruct us on what God has to say about living united. And what is sobering is that years ago, the need for unity coming together was huge. Years ago, all over five, six years ago now, the need was huge back then. But what if coming together today, what if the need for unity today, and it's almost self-explanatory, isn't it? The order of the day is what? It may be professed unity, but it's practical pulling apart, right? Have you noticed that they haven't removed the decals to distance? No. It's still there. May it never lose our consciousness. Keep apart. It's safer that way. Virtual is the new virtue. Isolation is the new ideal. The new normal, and here it is, beloved... We must come to terms with this. The new reality is two-tiered division. Us, them. Those that get it, those that don't. Those that wear the badge, those that don't. Distance, drift, divide. That's the way of the world. But listen to me. It's not God's way. It's not God's way. Worse, many that profess to be going God's way... Many that would profess to be God's church subscribe to the narrative of the day. Groups with church in their name cry togetherness, then they shut their doors. Some cry tolerance, then they shut down biblical conversations, in fact, going as far as to rewrite biblical commands. Others yet cry unity and turn people away for their medical choices. As such, church, true unity is such a vital reminder for us as we think of living united today. So how do we live in ungodliness? We live together as God's people, not apart. How do we live in ungodliness, Westmount, as we have been doing? This has been one of the blessings this week. This is one of those encouragements to say, you just keep on doing what you're doing in one sense, in one sense. Westmount, you keep living united. We're going to see this as a reminder and an encouragement, I pray, in our text this morning. Look at Psalm 133 with me. Let's read it. A song of ascents, 
of David. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Father, may we see this text anew this morning. May we understand unity, not from the world, but from you. Lord, open our eyes, our minds, our heart to see, receive, and later to go live united for your glory, we pray. Amen. The beloved dwelling in unity. Look at the psalm. That's the focus here. So we take a closer look with our first point, and it's this dwelling. Dwelling. Look again at verse 1. A song of ascents of David. Now I want you to look at that. Those headings are not to be confused with subheadings. Subheadings would be the uninspired headings you get all throughout your Bible, depending on the translation you have. Turn to the New Testament, not just Psalms, and you would see them. Those are uninspired. Publisher puts them in there. That's not what's going on here. In fact, depending on what translation you have, maybe they're all in caps with a smaller font. Those are inspired, the original texts. These are subscripts from the Lord, and you see them particularly in the Psalms. And they're very, very helpful. Here in Psalm 133, it's noted, look at it, a song of ascents. You will see that title right through from Psalm 120 to 134. Every single one of them is a psalm of ascents. These psalms, when we think of that title, were pilgrim songs. These are pilgrim songs. They were sung during the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. You know the annual feast, particularly three times a year, that they would pilgrimage up to Jerusalem. This is what they sung. These psalms, these songs of ascents. And note that they would have been sung journeying up, ascending, a song of ascents, ascending Jerusalem high place together, together. And we need to just start rightly with this text. Listen, the Israelite would not have popped in his psalm CD as a little personal boost while running errands and thinks that he's got his spiritual fill. That's not the way it works. No Israelite would ever have thought he was truly singing, truly singing unless he was with the corporate gathering. In fact, the Bible leaves no room for that. You're not singing on your own, you're singing together as you journey to God's place. This psalm was given, let us start with this, to be given, it was given to be sung corporately together with others. Brothers and sisters, we must pause and meditate on that for a moment. I want you to think of Israel sustaining in the time that they were in. Think of it. God's people came together. They sung together. They journeyed together. You know what they faced. Yes, the attacks on them are well documented in the Old Testament. The ungodly around them, they had to live in ungodliness. Yet this, the Psalter instructing them not only to be together, but note it's sing together. Sing together. Far from being unhealthy to sing, it's the lifeblood to sing, right? 
Westmount, do not forget this, beloved. Westmount, you've done this for two years. You have not stopped singing. And oh, how we sing. Isn't it great? The only thing better than singing is what? Singing together. It's the only thing better. Singing together and oh, Westmount, how you sing. Do not stop doing that in the weeks ahead. Listen to me, you need no formality for that. I love the growing trend as you're gathering in homes more and more, bursting roofs off homes and gathering and gathering. Listen to me, grab a psalter, grab two. When you gather this summer, sing. And when you're done singing, sing some more. Together. Together. When you have people over, before you do the meal, maybe after the meal, sing. 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 How do you live in ungodliness? You come together, you sing together. Now look again at verse 1. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. This is, I want you to see this, divine declaration here. Do you see this? This is Yahweh, God Almighty, making a declaration. God in his inspired word has this to say. Here it is. How good and pleasant it is what? When brothers dwell in unity. Dwell in unity. In fact, if you look at that rendering there, it could be more plainly rendered that dwell in unity as dwell together. The word behind that, let me take you there for a moment, in the original is this. It's a very distinct domestic sense, a dwelling together, a domestic sense. In fact, even more, a physical sense. Do you see that? A physical sense is what's being communicated here. That's the idea. And you think in ancient Near East, it would have been foreign, some sort of spiritual sense of this. So not only would the culture dictate, I know of no unity that's spiritual, in one sense, alone. This was physical dwelling with unity. This is domestic unity. This is we're under the same roof together. We're, in whatever sense, living together tangibly. This is unity that is habitation and presence together. This is important because this is more than just spirit. There is spirit, yes, We're not saying there isn't spirit, but in the very word itself, we see much, much more. This is, here it is, spirit that leads to physical presence. You see that? One would say you have no spiritual unity if you don't yearn for presence. Beloved, this text leaves no room for such expressions as this, and we've heard them, together in spirit, or it's like I'm there with you. Or praise the Lord for technology. That's not in this text. No, it isn't. It's foreign to the text. It's always been foreign to God's people. It doesn't exist with God. It's always dwelling together. Listen, such modern day pacifiers are foreign to the text. This is dwell together. You could say it this way to render it even more wooden. Live together. This is physical, being with, close together, proximity. This is dwelling together. Westmount, listen, do not forget this. And again, Westmount, you have been doing this. It's my joy simply to affirm what you've been doing this morning. You have not stopped dwelling together. As such, you are together today. People ask me, why is there such unity in this church, in our assembly Because we gathered in spirit? Because we had a a spiritual connection? No. 
How have we survived deception and oppression because of adaptive technological strategy? Is that why? We zigged and zagged at the right time and made the necessary adjustments? No, absolutely not. We are united, Westmount, and stronger than ever today. We are united, Westmount, and stronger than we were in January 2015. We are united today and stronger than we were in February 2020 because we have dwelled together and we have not stopped dwelling together. We have physically remained together. You have not stopped dwelling together, so beloved, listen, do not stop dwelling together. Brothers and sisters, remember the divine declaration. What does God say about the beloved dwelling together? It is good and pleasant when brothers dwell in unity. When God's people sing together, be together, dwell together, dwell in unity, God says this, he stamps it. He says it's good and it's pleasant. Simple reminders on biblical definition here. Recall we use a word like good all the time, don't we? We use good all the time. Again, this is review. What do we say? The meal was good. How are you? I am good. We have just good is everything. Everything's good. In fact, we've made good common, which is quite contrary to what the Bible says about it. Good is anything but common. It's a far cry from the good we encounter in the Bible from the opening chapter, Genesis 1.31. The capstone says this, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was what? Very good. No, good is not common. Good is not just ordinary. Good is divine. Listen to this. God is in good. This is what this text is teaching us. Good is godly. Good is what God declares like creation when brothers dwell in unity. It's his stamp of affirmation. But God does not just declare dwelling together unity good, but what else? Look at it. God also declares that dwelling together unity is pleasant. If you were to go to the original behind that word, you would see it's taken from a word that means agreeable, harmonious, and sweet. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment, your various experiences in life and your thoughts of what is pleasant. How often can you have agreement? Often, I submit to you, right? Often. We can have agreement often. It's worth noting in light of all the disagreement in the world, two friends can agree to eat at the same place together. Two companies can agree to merge and two individuals can agree on the same plan. That is common. Could be pleasant. Could be harmonious. But listen, is it always godly? What if the agreement is between thieves? They agree on the right plan for the heist. The robbers are in full agreement and the plan goes off without a hitch. In fact, you can imagine with me for a moment the scene in a hideout somewhere, the clinking of glasses, the laughs, the handshake. The atmosphere is jovial. They all agree it's a job well done. But it's anything but godly. In fact, it's quite the opposite. No, unity, this is foundational. I pray we see this, Westmount. Unity is so much more than just agreement. Everybody can do that. Everyone can be harmonious. That's the easy stuff. I can think of many times before Christ saved me a few years ago that I thought I was having a pleasant time with friends, and I know you do too. Cringe often to think back to those times. There was lots of agreement with my friends at that time, lots of harmony. 
It was hardly godly. Now, here is why this is important. The divine declaration on unity is what? Look at it. It is both good and pleasant. It is not one without the other. It is a pleasant that is good. Said another way, it is godly agreement. Said yet another way, it doesn't matter how sweet it is. It is bitter, ultimately, if God is not in it. That's right. God must declare something to be good to be good. There's your filter for today. We shouldn't care how many talking heads declare it to be good. It matters little. What does God have to say about it? Only then is it truly good. And I hope that's helpful because there's a lot of agreement out there today. A lot of crossing the aisle and hugging each other on a law well passed. But listen to me. It's anything but godly. Anything but godly. Westmont, again, do not forget this. This has been, beloved, our unity. Godly agreement around what God says is good, not what we feel is good. Godly agreement in our assembling that is anchored in God's words, not ours. Godly agreement in singing and being and dwelling and living together, that is unity. Westmount, how do you live in ungodliness? You continue in godly agreement. And as you do, God declares such unity, such dwelling together as good. Unity is dwelling together. Verse 2, secondly, there's dwelling, now there's anointing. Look at verse 2. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. Beautiful image here that is the image of what? Look at it. Brothers dwelling together. Unity. This is the picture that we're seeing here. And note the comparison language in verse 2. It is like, do you see that? It is like. A simile to show a picture. This is what unity is like. Here's the pictorial representation of what unity is like. And in this picture, we encounter something very familiar for those that have been at Westmount for a while. And who is it? It's Aaron. Aaron, brother of Moses, the inaugural priest in oil and robes. All of this very familiar to our study in Exodus. This is helpful here as we... Tie the two together. Aaron and his sons, the appointed priests, the first in the tribe of Levi. And as we learned in Exodus, this was more than appointment. Aaron and his sons, not just named, but also called to be what? Consecrated. Remember that? Not just appointed, but consecrated. Set apart for service. That is, before they could be priests, representatives for the people, they needed to be anointed. They needed to be set apart for godly service. It wasn't just enough to say, go for it, Aaron. Not that God would say that, but there was a process that needed to happen. A fitting, remember that, a fitting for service. Both Exodus 29 and Leviticus 8 describe such consecration. The anointing oil taken poured on Aaron's head, just as Yahweh described. Well, here we are given more detail of what the consecration looks like. That setting apart, that making holy or being made holy is a picture. Look at verse 2 again. It's precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. Wonderful picture. The oil does not just touch the head, but look at this. It runs down the beard. And then it runs down to the collar of the robe. 
the head to the chin to the neck. Do you see that? It spreads. That is the effect of anointing. It runs down and runs down and runs down. Yes, that oil doesn't just stay on the head. It runs down and spreads from the head to the body. Not just spreads, by the way, it permeates when you think of the beard. That's the picture of unity here. This reality of unity's precious flow is not just an Old Testament picture on Aaron. It is helpful and tells us a lot, especially after studying the priests. This reality of consecration, of holy consecration, and its spread, it's not just true in ancient Israel. Vividly for sure, with this picture. But listen to 1 John 2.20, it says, To the brothers, to the beloved, but you have been anointed by who? The Holy One. An anointing for the saints after Christ that flows from the head, the head of the church, who is who? Jesus Christ. Christ is the head, and who is the body? Us, beloved, us, the body of Christ. We are the church. Ephesians 5.23 says what? Christ is the head of the church, his body, chin, neck, and all. Anointing has a source, a place, and an effect. Anointing has specificity. We've seen this in Exodus. So too for our anointing, Christian, and our unity. That's the picture for us today. We, Christian, have been anointed by Christ. Remember, He is our anointing. We have been set apart by Him. He is our consecration. Set apart by Him, for Him, and in Him. Christ is our anointing. He is the head, and His anointing is what runs down to the rest of the body. And this is what unity looks like. We must grab this this morning. This is the picture of unity today. Unity that flows from the head, capital H, anointed by Him. In Westmount, again, you know this. There is no anointing nor unity without Christ. Is that not true? There is no unity apart from Christ. He's the foundation of true unity. Jeremy read from John 17. A perfect picture in the prayer of Christ to the Father. This is what unity is. Trinitarian unity. We have no dwelling together apart from him. Westmount again, this is us, and I urge you in the weeks ahead to not forget this. We are anointed by Christ, and Christ, and listen, Christ alone is the one who binds us together. In fact, we must be clearer in our day. And I'm thinking in the realm of those professing Christ, professing church, professing religion, professing spirit. There is no unity outside of Christ. It actually doesn't exist. Only disunity. That's why Messiah, Christ, came in a disorganized cosmos. As Colossians 1 tell us, he comes to bring and reconcile back. There is no unity outside of Christ. He is the foundation of true unity, and we have no dwelling apart from him. Westman, how do you live in ungodliness? You remember your anointing. You are not of this world, nor are you of the prince of this world. You may be surrounded by evil service, but you're not called to it, and you're certainly not called to nod your head to it. You are anointed, you are consecrated, you're set apart by Christ to serve him. 
This means anything that is not flowing from the lordship of Christ is not unifying. It doesn't matter how well-meaning or how close. Again, there's no unity outside of Jesus. Unity is dwelling together and more. Unity is the anointing together in Christ. This reality is broadened in the final picture, verse 3. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. The dew of Hermon falling on the mountains of Zion. See that? Mount Hermon, the largest mountain in Israel, it marked the northern boundary of the promised land. It was known for its snow-capped tip and abundant dew. And see the picture here of Hermon-like dew. Hermon-like dew. Like this, like oil, would be like the dew, running, falling down. The picture is of that dew falling down from the largest of mountains, Hermon, to the mountains of Zion. That's the picture. From the top to the heart of Israel, to the holy city. That is anointing that flows from the head to the body, the peak to the place. This is anointing that flows from God first to God's people and to the place of God's people. Today, church, this is anointing that flows from the summit, the Christ, and flows down, in, among, through his people. And that's what keeps his people together. Westmount, unity flows from one anointing only, the Christ, the head, the summit. One more to close out this psalm, just at the end of verse 3, the blessing. The dwelling, the anointing, the blessing. Look at the end of verse 3. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. Let's observe each detail here as we close. First, the location. Look again. For there. And you should say as you read that, where is there? For there, where is there? There points us back to the end of verse 1 as we track in this psalm. Where brothers dwell in unity. Where brothers dwell together, that's the location, that place of unity of brothers dwelling, that's where, that's what's in view, that place of unity. And the place of unity, the dwelling together in unity, receives what here? Look at the next detail, back to verse 3, the blessing by the command of God. Not just a blessing, that would be good to have a blessing, but what of the blessing? Unity receives the blessing. Remember, when you have the we know this, those who have been in Westmount for a bit. The normally is what? It's like a pointer in the original language. It's like not ah, it's the, it's this one. It's one, it's a pointer. It's an article. And here there's actually two pointers in this word in the original. Two things highlighting the blessing. Not only does it have the on it, but there's a marker in the original language. A tag to just say this is it, the blessing. In other words, grammatically, it has a couple different spotlights on it. You say, well, this blessing sounds very important. What is the blessing? For that, we observe another detail, end of verse 3. Life forevermore, that is the synonym for the blessing. In other words, the blessing is life forevermore and vice versa. The blessing of dwelling together, of dwelling in unity, is life forevermore. You say, really, just get along and that will lead to long life? Very pragmatic, right? That's indeed what so-called studies today will tell you. Just find ways to get along. Manage your time and space and hopefully they collide well with other people. That's what so-called experts will tell you. That's how you get along. Find your space. That's what they say. But it's not what the Word of God says, right? Word of God 
It's not about telling people to go to their corner and then come back and hopefully it'll all go away. No, it's not what the Word of God says. It says, there, which is in the place of brothers dwelling together in unity, there, when they're physically together, the Lord God has commanded, that is strong, by the way, the blessing, which is what? Life forevermore. So you'd say, okay, I think I'm tracking. So not just get along, but just be together. Just find ways to maybe get creative to just be together. Got it. Well, there may be some quality of life effects there. Really no doubt about that. Maybe, sure. But that's not what the Word of God is saying here. Remember, the unity here is not just dwelling together, but what? Unity that is dwelling together. And what's the glue, the divine glue, the anointing? The anointing. Unity is not random groups finding ways to get along without a fight. In fact, if we had to call that anything, we'd call it common grace. No, true biblical lasting unity, Westmont, is unity running down from the head that runs down to the beard all the way to the neck. That anointing is the true dwelling together of unity. And for us, church, that anointing, that dwelling, that blessing is who? Christ Jesus, our head. In him and only in him can brothers and sisters be truly united. And thus in him and only in him does one find life forevermore. Christ, the blessing. Westmount, in this season, the summer and beyond, this is what you must never forget. The blessing is what has kept us together these past few years. Is that not true? The blessing. The blessing. But it is also the blessing that many, many, many others do not know. Westman, how do you live in ungodliness? Well, you remember the blessing, yes, but more beloved, you consider those that are not in Christ and have not received the blessing. And thus they're not headed to where? Life forevermore. Unless you are in Christ, You are not headed to life forevermore. In other words, if you're not in Christ, you're headed where? To death forevermore. Does that make sense? If you're not in the anointing in Christ, you will not only die, you will die forever apart from him. That's what the one who made you is saying to us this morning. In this text, how do you live in ungodliness, beloved? You remember the blessing, and you remember those that don't have the blessing. In godliness, or we could say in ungodliness, you consider the ungodly. My brothers and sisters, in the weeks ahead, be ready to speak to them. Always be ready to make a defense for this blessing within us. Westmount, this hope of life forevermore, only found where? In dwelling together, only found in Christ. Christ bore the penalty for our unity impediment. Each one of us, apart from Christ, is a sabotage to unity. Is that not true? Unless we are knit to the head and in him, all that we can do, this is your earthly hope, all that you can hope to do is abort unity. That's it. Christ is the only one that can bring people together. And I would submit to you, I don't know what has brought you here today. It is true, not only as you're seeing it on the page, maybe feeling arrested by it this morning, 
But maybe, just maybe, you've wondered, why can't people truly get along? Because they don't have the right source. Jesus Christ, the anointing. He bore the penalty for our unity impediment, so there would be no longer disunity. And the unity impediment is ourselves and our sin. Christ secured unity, not just in this life with what we have, church, but Christ secured unity for what? Eternity, life forevermore with Father, Son, and Spirit. 